Hello, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to this special Read All About It podcast series, The 12 Days of Bookless. Do you see what I did there? And here's what you can look forward to. 12 days, 12 guests and a whole host of great book recommendations as each guest chooses their favourite fiction and non-fiction read of 2020. Well, I also choose a book I've enjoyed reading this year. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about this special Read All About It podcast series. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the 12 Days of Bookmas, this special podcast brought to you by the Read All About It podcast. And I'm delighted that today I'm joined by the author, Alison Irvin. Alison, welcome back to the podcast and I'm looking forward to hearing about your reading recommendations for 2020. Thanks for having me. Yep, it's good to be back. Now, since we last spoke, obviously you, your novel, Cat Step, has, has just been launched. Uh, how has that gone? Obviously, it's, you know, for all writers who are bringing out books this year, it's been different, the kind of traditional launch events, etc. haven't happened, but how, how has it been now that the book is out in the world? It's been lovely, actually. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a nice few weeks. It, it, um, it's had some good reviews from the book bloggers and from a few, few press reviews as well. So, I'm, yeah, I'm really pleased with it. It's, it's kind of, it's a weird time now because the kind of the big burst of enthusiasms dwindle down a little bit and with bookshops being closed I'm kind of thinking oh it would be really nice if it was on a table in Waterstones and people could pick it up and browse it but I think I've just got to be patient we're all in the same boat but yeah so far so good thank you. Yeah because I have not you know like sometimes you notice on social media that just you see some you know positive feedback about the book uh, you know as you say either the viewers or, or you know people just haven't got it. It's on. It's on my pile to my, my left as we're we're sitting talking. It's on my my list of, of books to read uh, in, in the near future. But you know that must be encouraging for you as well when it does go out into the world and people who you don't know just pick up the book and then they're reviewing it and they're saying good things about it. You always have a bit of imposter syndrome and you always have the feeling that well well, I showed it to this person, I showed it to my husband and he liked it. But then you kind of go, well, he would say that. <laughs> he kind of has to say that. But when like a real person, someone you don't know and someone that, that reviews books, either for a living or for, for their passion, says nice things, it's kind of, it's lovely. So it is a nice feeling and um, it's been quite exciting. And I wonder as well, you know that way when the bookshops do reopen and obviously people will, will flock back into the, the shops either before or after Christmas. And to an extent, it's almost books, like your, your novel, almost got a second launch because it will be the first time people will have seen it on the shelves and on the tables. And that's when you hope you get another wee lift from it as well. I think the publishers are hoping that. Yeah, I, I think we can sort of almost, well, I'm feeling like you can write off Christmas because it's not a Christmas book. You know, it's not a cookbook or, you know, and I'm not a celebrity author or whatnot. But perhaps in January... And or February when things start to calm down a bit, people will have another look at it. And I think the publishers, they said something, some phrase like they hope it'll have a long sales tail, if that means anything. So maybe a bit of word of mouth. Um, yeah. it'll, it'll mean that sales will sort of go, go well into next year. Touch wood, we're hoping anyway. And I suppose, that I always think, ultimately, see once the book's out, then you've done, almost to an extent, you've done your part of it. And then you never know where that will take you. You know, like, for all you know, that the book is just, you know, the publishers are maybe hoping, you know, for that kick in January, February, but you just never know who reads it, where it goes. And, and you always have to, I always think you always have to be hopeful and optimistic about, you know, where it will end up. I've been saying, yeah, I'm daring to dream at the moment. 
which reminds me of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club's <laughs> motto, because I'm a Spurs fan. I think they've got a motto like to dare is to do or something like that. But anyway, that's an aside. But I'm, I'm daring to dream. And then, you know, but at the same time, right in the next one. So keeping my feet on the ground and just cracking on. That could be an incredible 2021 if uh, your, your book suddenly explodes onto the world and Tottenham Hotspur win the Premier, Premier League. <laughs> I know. My mum would be very happy, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say, she'd probably be more happy about Spurs. But <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed for your book. I have to say, as long as Jose Mourinho is in charge, I can't bring myself to wish him all the best. Oh, I love him now. I love him. He's very yeah. special. In terms of the, this podcast, what I've been doing is just asking people to choose uh, their favourite fiction and non-fiction read of 2020, and then I'll talk about one of the books I've read. So the first book that you've picked is uh, a novel called Lanny by Max Porter. And what was it about that book that's, that stood out for you this year? I'd read his first book, Grief is the Thing with Feathers, and I'd really liked that. So I kind of knew what I was in for, but it's, it's very unlike the type of book that I would normally read. I, I like my, my gritty realism and my, um, you know, kind of plain, stark sentences, sort of Andrew Hagen style. This book, it almost reads a little bit like a play. It's in three acts, and it's, it's a kind of wild read. It's the only way I can describe it. It's about... A very, very simple story, which I won't give away, but there's a, a mum, a dad, an artist called Pete, and a boy called Lanny, who, who is voiceless in it. You, you just hear what he says through the eyes of other people. And then there's this kind of grisly, gnarly, strange character called Dead Papa Toothwort, who's like a, a spirit that's been around for a thousand years and, and takes on things like he could turn into a teacup or he could turn into the bark of a tree or he will um, be the wind and then so he's this kind of quite evil spirit that um, is lurking around in a very ordinary English village in commuter just outside the commuter belt so it's about what happens when you put all those things together and then obviously badness happens but it's just beautifully written and an incredible interesting way of of telling a story I loved it you know that way sometimes when I mean I was just checking to see what the book was about and and you know just reading the synopsis it is quite hard to grasp I think it's one of those books that it struck me right away that you probably you really have to read it to really kind of get a sense of of what it's about it's probably quite hard when they were trying to summarize it thinking what on earth am I going to say about this yeah, yeah, true, actually, because it is so, it's so strange. I mean, the look of the book as well. You've got um, little chapters that are headed either Lanny's mum, Lanny's dad, but then you've got voices of the villagers in this English village which kind of curve up and down the page and cross over each other, and they're in, in, in a different typeface as well. And I'll just read a few, and they're just like little, like, you know, if you're walking down a street they're little snippets of what you might hear so clean forgot milk talking to old Peggy weird time to be alive every last mouthful and so it's all you know you can imagine people saying this and that's quite it's, it's really imaginative and it looks formally like it looks it looks really quite interesting but also quite odd as well. You know you mentioned that quite often you're you're more into kind of the gritty realism of novels or maybe kind of more traditional structure. What was it then about that book that caught your eye or attention and, and made you pick it up? I knew the, the writer was good. I guess the, the whole, the cover, you know, 
the, the look of it, the feel of it. This is a hard, hardback book. It feels nice in your hand and the way it's set out. It's like a beautiful object, really, what you're reading. And I, I just, I knew that I, having liked his previous book I, and I read good things about it, I thought, oh, I do want to give it a go. And, and I, I really did like it. It is a strange, weird, this character, Dead Papa Toothwalk, but yet it's based on ordinary life. So these glimpses of ordinary people and, the, and this kind of family setup, which is a bit dysfunctional, yet the child is very brilliant and odd and eccentric. And so it's, it's kind of, it's the weirdness the context is very ordinary, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on as well. Because you, you mentioned something interesting there. I always, I'm always curious about, you know, you just, obviously the book is an object, the cover which catches your eye. Because I, I am a big believer in judging a book by its cover. Because if, if, if it's a cover that catches your eye, or even a title. So, for example, you mentioned his first book, is it Grief is the Thing with Feathers? Now, yeah. I would always pick that up just to see what it was about, because that's a brilliant title. But I think when you get into a bookshop, you want... It's the first thing that catches your eye is the cover. I'm wondering who designed this, and I'm not, I'm not sure, actually, but it is. It's lovely. It's been adapted. Actually, that's what I wanted to say as well. It's been adapted into a radio play. So having read the book, I then listened to the play. Um, it's on Radio 4 just last week, actually, so you probably still catch it on iPlayer. And um, that was really well done because they had a cast of actors who played the main characters, including a little plug for my talented friend Lucianne McAvoy who played Lanny's mum but it also had a load of other voices that were playing the voices of the villagers so as, as something to listen to it was really interesting because you had all these accents and different tones of voice and little snippets of conversation that was that was kind of swirling around the kind of the narrative drive of of the book so I thought it was really well done. Yeah because even just from what you explained about the book I'd imagine that must have been a challenge for whoever had to adapt it for the radio because, as you mentioned already, it's maybe quite unusual structure in terms of the book. It was only 45 minutes, the radio play, so there was, there was obviously a fair bit cut out. But I kind of think the right stuff was cut out and the right bits left in, that you, you do get a sense of the story and you get the, the emotional pull. Because ultimately, it's, um, it's, a kind of, it's quite a potentially very distressing story. So, yeah, I thought they did it really. And the ending was, was wonderful. The ending just made my kind of, you do an inward gasp um, so that it did it, it hit all the right spots. The book that I've chosen to talk about um, is a book called The Tenderness of Wolves by Steph Penny, which can buy, I think, it, back in 2006, I think it came out and won the, the Costa Book of the Year. And it's one of those books that, uh, I don't know if you're the same, that you, you maybe get the book at the time, and it's been, I don't know how many years it's been lying on my, my shelves, and you know that way, at the time you think, right, I'm definitely going to read that, and then something else overtakes, and then you put it off and put it off, and I don't know why, I think a friend of mine had mentioned that they they just either read it recently or they just absolutely loved it, so I, I picked it up, and I, I thought it was, I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant novel. It's set in the 1860s in Canada. It's effectively, it's in this kind of, small isolated village and the kind of one of the main characters a woman she discovers the body of a man in, in one of the, the huts he's been murdered and mm-hmm. a son who was kind of friendly with this guy has disappeared at the same time and so people in the village start to think that the son must be a suspect she sets out to try and trace his footsteps to try and find him and then people are trying to follow her and, and then also to try mm-hmm. and find him to see whether he has been... So it's kind of murder mystery as well. It's set in this snowy wilderness 
of, of Canada in the bleak midwinter. And the fascinating thing, apart from the fact it's a really gripping novel, and it's brilliant the way she ties all these different strands of, of the book together. But I always remember reading at the time that she was praised for the, the way she described the scenery, the wilderness, the climate, everything about it. But she had, I think at the time, Steph Penny suffered from agoraphobia. So she did most of her research, I think, in the British Library. She never went to Canada, but was able to, and even people, I think, people in, in Canada or people who were familiar with the area she set the novel were amazed at how <clears throat> the accuracy of the descriptions, which is kind of testament to her, her ability as a researcher and, and then as a writer, which always which fascinated me while I was reading it. Because you would think that that would be the first thing that would might give you away, you know, if you haven't done your research properly, you know, or you haven't quite described something correctly, that, you know, you almost think you better feel it and see it for yourself. But yeah, wow, my goodness. Because it's funny, because I, I always had that in my head. So when I started reading the book, I was expecting, you know, these long passages just about describing the snow and the bleakness and stuff. But actually, it's just a, it's a really gripping, not quite thriller, but it's, you know, it's the heart of it is a murder you know, a dysfunctional family, a mother and a love for her son and wanting to protect him within the, you know, really harsh elements where, you know, humans are they're battling against the elements as much as against each other. So it's actually, and within that, obviously, I think like all the best books with all the best research, it's just, it's quite subtle. So you're not really aware of, you're not suddenly reading long passages and, and going, wow, she really knows what Canada was like in, in the 1860s. But you, you just, you're very much, you're in the story and you're in that environment. And I think that's the kind of, that's the skill of her as a novelist, I think. I think I might have had a listen um, to a sample of the beginning of the book. And I thought it wasn't scenery that was being um, spoken of, but it was like somebody's red neckerchief. And then the way she described that and then what actually was going on with the red neckerchief. Yeah. And, oh, well done. So I, I can... I can see why her other descriptions of other things would be as powerful. And, and the other thing that reminded me when I was, you know, I haven't read it, but then more recently uh, you'd put me in touch with Polly Clark, who did a podcast and who wrote the book Tiger and, you know, Siberian Tigers are at the heart of the novel. But Polly uh, actually went out and did a research trip to Siberia, which sounded amazing and terrifying in equal measure. But then when you read you know, even the very start of her novel, you're there as well. But I mean, it's, it kind of takes your breath away a wee bit. I listened to Polly's podcast and it just sounded amazing, didn't it? Her, yeah. the, her experiences. And, and she clearly needed to feel that and live that to write her best book, which, and I, I can really understand that. I love the fact that she said she, the point was not to see a tiger. You know, if you, if you saw a tiger, you were kind of doomed. <laughs> but she just needed to experience the world that the tiger lived in. And I don't know if you've read the, the novel, the very, the very first chapter is, is set in Siberia and it is, you're there, I mean, just the way she describes, you know, the, the, there's a kind of contrast between the, the, there's a human character, but then also the kind of tigers there. And that's where you can probably see, having spoken to her, the benefits of, of that research. So it's quite a contrast with Steph Penny, who, who did the same, you know, who, who wrote a book set in nature and the environment is very much central to it, but did all of the research via books. The, the non-fiction book that you've chosen uh, is a book by Jackie Kay, uh, a book called Red Dust Road. Obviously you're going to recommend it, I've read it as well, I think. I just think Jackie Kay is just brilliant. She is, she's amazing. I've bent the rules a little bit, Paul, but everyone seems to on your podcast. So I... <laughs> there are no rules. 
so I've I've reread it in 2020, but I, I had read it in a previous year. But there you go. I like I liked it for two reasons. Like there's a whole personal um, sort of story to do with my family, which is why I really identified with some of the things that that Jackie was talking about. But also her her writing style and her the way she tells the story and you she kind of reels you in. It's deceptively simple. It's, it's, there's an informal tone. It's chatty. It's full of wit and anecdotes. And then she'll just kind of turn a corner and you'll be in a paragraph where you kind of get punched in the gut by, by something she said. And it's really, she's a brilliant storyteller. So Jackie uh, was adopted and she had a, a, a white mother from, who was born in the Highlands and a Nigerian father who was at university in Aberdeen and that's how her birth mum and dad met and then and she was brought up with her adopted brother by wonderful mum and dad and and she's um she includes they are very much like the heart and soul of her story as well so and it's about her tracing her birth parents so and she does it with such kind of such wit that you're you're there with her every step of the way but you also feel you feel all the feels as well there's one paragraph where she talks about being an adopted child. You live in a kind of windy place in your heart where you're, you feel alone. And she acknowledges that perhaps everybody deep down feels a bit alone, but there's something extra when you've been adopted. And then, you, you know, you turn a page and then she's telling you about meeting her birth mum, perhaps for the second time and going on an escalator for the first time with her and then you just get that you know you go this bizarre feeling oh the first time I've been on an escalator with my birth mum and that kind of just the idiosyncratic stuff that she chucks in as well as the kind of the real heartfelt emotional stuff it's brilliant I loved it. So Jackie Cave is brought up in, in Bishop Briggs where I, I'm from and where I still stay actually so I, I've always kind of it's a town affinity she kind of lived just around the corner from my, my high school. But also I remember I, I went to, years and years ago, I went to kind of writing award ceremony in Edinburgh. And we were going to drive back. And that was the first time I'd met her. And gave her and her son a lift back to Bishop Briggs from Edinburgh. And it was just brilliant. It was just, she was just brilliantly entertaining. And I just, I, you know, sometimes you meet people and you think, I don't think you could meet Jackie Kay and not come away really liking her. I think there's just some people you know that the universal reaction is, I really like her because I think she's just got that kind of warmth and engaging personality that, that immediately wanted. I, I agree. And that comes across in the in her writing. And she she kind of acknowledges that because a lot because a lot of what she's talking about is, you know, nature versus nurture. And, and she knows that she's gregarious and chatty and likable and warm. And so that so and then she's kind of you know wondering where that comes from. Is that innate or is that because of the, the household and the, the parents that she grew up with? So it reminded me because my my life experience is completely different to Jackie Kay's, but the, the sort of search for a parent resonated with me because my mum never knew who her dad was, but all she knew of him was that he was born in Kilsyth, but just outside Glasgow, and had emigrated to Australia. So she knew that he lived in Sydney. She was brought up by her mum. And so I went on this search when I was in my early 20s to try and find my mum's dad. And I had a similar sheet. There's a chapter where she's sitting in a room with her mum's siblings. And I had a similar experience where I was sitting in a room with my mum's dad's siblings and these aunties and uncles who looked like me and remembered my mum as a baby, held her, you know. And so it really chimed with me, a lot of the stuff that, 
that Jackie went through, although, you know, kind of completely different stories and families and identities. Because there's that, you know, although you say there's a kind of lightness of touch in, in the way she tells her story and some of it's great, but there are some quite sad and poignant, you know, particularly I think when she meets her, her father, and some of that's quite heartbreaking, certainly as a reader it, it feels quite heartbreaking, it's almost a kind of, kind of feels like a rejection of her, again, because of her sexuality. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I might have had a different interpretation. I felt like he didn't mind her sexuality because she was a, a, a woman. So I think it might have been a different story had she been a man. But I think he found lesbianism okay and a bit intriguing from, from the bits that, you know, that I've reread of, of the book. But I, I think as well, she, uh, he didn't really want to, none of her birth parents wanted to talk about her or so that the other families and the siblings didn't know about her and she was still a secret. That must have been devastating for her. So there was obviously some shame, secrecy still attached to the very fact of her existence. And that is, that's a tough one to grapple with, isn't it, I think? Because I think as well, it's maybe hopefully it's a story that, that's maybe not replicated so much now. Because obviously, I think her mum came from maybe kind of strict Catholic background. And, you know, an unmarried woman who falls pregnant with a man from another country then there's that, that kind of family shame and they want to just get rid of the family shame and, and that's why she's put off for adoption. And as I say, I hope, you know, you're hoping that that kind of reaction and attitude is, is gone, hopefully, by and large. It's, it's different times now, isn't it? A kind of a parallel to my own family story. Again, it's, it's different, but there, it chimes is that it was a mixed union. So my grandma was Catholic and my granddad who we never knew was Protestant and I think back in the day that was a lot harder wasn't it and um, it just it didn't gel for whatever reason so they split up there's all sorts of like the, the context around a marriage was much more important back then and I think a lot of people quite rightly people now are like Do you know what doesn't matter I just guess what all you want for the next generation is, you know, what I would say to my children, you just want them to be comfortable in their own skin, love who they want to love and live well. And the rest of the world needs to get in line, doesn't it, and with, with that? Because life's too short, it's pointless otherwise. In terms of, because I've been asking people to choose their, their favourite fiction and non-fiction reads, do you, in terms of your reading over the course of a year, do you split between fiction and non-fiction or how does that does that unfold over the, the course of the 12 months? I probably do read more fiction, I have to say, yeah. But I also read Kathleen Jamie, and she wrote a lovely non-fiction nature book. I think it's probably mostly fiction, mostly contemporary fiction, because I, I, I sort of, I'm quite interested in, you know, what writers are producing now. And then I think I was saying to you last time we chatted, I do try and pick up on some of the, the gaps in my reading, and I've, I've been, you know, trying to, I read Dickens and so there's a few things, big tomes that I do, I, I still want to get through. So a, a nice, a healthy mixture, I would say. And I suppose it's like there's a never-ending list or a never-ending pile of books to, to be read and there's always, and, and the pile never goes down because you're always adding to it all the time. You are, yeah. And you know, I'm really missing libraries at the moment. I don't know about you, Paul, but my two local libraries are closed and, you know, I would... I would just love to be able to just go in and pick the books that I want off the shelf and, you know, or order them in and, you know, all that kind of lovely, lovely stuff that you used to do with libraries can't do anymore. So I'm kind of, yeah, I'm missing them. So hopefully, hopefully before too long in 2021, they'll, they'll, they'll start to do as well as everything else. 
we're nearly there. There's good news this morning, wasn't there, about um, a vaccine. So I think I think <laughs> we can dare to dream again. Finger, fingers crossed. But listen, Alison, thanks very much for joining me on the, the 12 Days of Bookmas. And I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that uh, 2021 for Cat Step is that, that second blooming, as it were, when the bookshop's open and it flies off the shelves for you. Oh, thank you. That would be nice. Thanks for having me again, Paul. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the 12 Days of Bookness, a special Read All About It podcast series that is so special it even has its own theme tune. You can subscribe to the podcast and leave a review which will help other book lovers find us. And I hope you can join me, Paul Cuddy, on the next episode. In the meantime, keep reading. Keep reading.